This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. I think that, uh, first of all, the sector needs to adapt to where the Canadian public is today. And we know that Canadians uh, look for their news and for their content online. Uh, now we want to make sure that on the different platforms that the Canadians, uh, the Canadian public likes uh, and 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 uh, look up to, uh, that uh, Canadian content is easily found and accessible. Uh, so that's one major um, change that I hope to see as quickly as possible in the system. And the second part is making sure that our cultural industries are still viable, strong, and vibrant. Welcome to the Law Bites podcast. This week, just as this podcast episode drops, the CRTC will open its first hearing on Bill C-11, the Online Streaming Act. The hearing, which is expected to run for three weeks, is the first of what is anticipated to be multiple hearings on implementing the reforms to the Broadcasting Act that arise as a result of the new legislation. Now, Canadian Heritage Minister Pascal Saint-Ange may be calling for expedited implementation. But I think the reality is this is going to take a while. This week's podcast provides a preview for what lies ahead with this hearing. I'll take a step back to discuss recent developments and what brought us here, what to expect over the coming three weeks, and a little bit on what lies ahead in 2024 and beyond on this issue. One caveat, I'm scheduled to participate in the hearings with an appearance before the commission that's currently scheduled for early December. So first, what brought us here? If you're a regular listener, you know all about Bill C-11 or the Online Streaming Act. It started life back in 2020 as then Bill C-10 under then Heritage Minister Stephen Guibault. By 2021, the bill seemed well on its way to passing, but it was in clause-by-clause review in April of 2021 when the government removed one of the exceptions that it had established around user content. So a bill that previously had been targeted at the large streaming services, the Netflix and Disney's of the world, suddenly now had the capability of targeting virtually any kind of user content, given the broad definition of what constituted a program and the removal of one of the exceptions that had sought to exclude that kind of content. Now, that sparked widespread concern, a lot of public debate, a lot of public concern, and ultimately slowed down the legislation so significantly that while it passed the House, it ran out of time, didn't pass at the Senate, and then we had an election call in the summer of 2021. So the bill effectively died on the order paper. Now, it was brought back by a new heritage minister at the time, Pablo Rodriguez, and once again became a lightning rod for public concern. The government had said that it had addressed the concerns around regulating user content, but as just about any expert who took a closer look at the language itself concluded, that simply wasn't true. The reality was that the way the government had gone about addressing the issue left open the prospect of regulating user content once this issue reached the CRTC. Now, ultimately, that bill did pass, but not before the Senate put forward amendments to address the concern around regulating user content. The government rejected those amendments, and it passed in April of this year. That set the stage for two implementation issues. 
first a policy direction to the CRTC from the government outlining how it would like the commission to interpret the legislation as it follows through with a wide range of issues that were frankly left open as part of the legislation itself. And then there's that CRTC process, a process that is extensive in large measure because the government left so many of the questions questions around threshold, questions around Canadian content, questions around the actual responsibility and liability of of various online streamers, left all these issues for the commission to actually decide. And so it's got a really broad range of issues on its plate. The policy direction for the government is now complete. A draft was released back in June with an opportunity for comments. That deadline was in July. It's taken a number of months. And the final version of the policy direction was released this past week in largely the same form as the draft itself. It includes several notable elements. I'll focus specifically on the user content side and and quote actually for three of them. And we can talk a bit about the implications of those. First, The commission is directed to consider both established and emerging means of discoverability and showcasing to promote a wide range of Canadian programming. In making regulations or imposing conditions in respect of discoverability and showcasing requirements, the commission is directed to prioritize outcome-based regulations and conditions that minimize the need for broadcasting undertakings to make changes to their computer algorithms that impact the presentation of programs. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but at its heart, it provides greater guidance on what had been one of the most controversial aspects of the bill, this notion of discoverability, requirements of platforms and others to prioritize or make more discoverable Canadian content. Now, you can see in the policy direction, the government is following through with that expectation, talking about both established and emerging means of doing so. One of the most controversial aspects of the discoverability discussion was the prospect that it would require platforms to actually tinker with their algorithms. In other words, it would be some of the choices of the CRTC rather than the interests of users that would dictate some of the algorithmic outcomes in terms of what people might be presented with on platforms ranging from Netflix on the one hand, but even more to services like TikTok or Instagram or YouTube. Now, the government to the CRTC says, listen, we were focused on the outcome itself, not the way in which it happens. And perhaps even more important, they're calling on the CRTC to minimize the need to make changes to computer algorithms. But note that that's not the same as what the government had said for months during the debate on C-11. For months, they actually had said that computer algorithms were out. But that, in fact, it turns out, is not exactly the case. The reality is that algorithms always were in, not necessarily in terms of the CRDC dictating precisely what an algorithm would do, but rather focused on those so-called outcomes that could certainly incorporate algorithms and which had raised a lot of fears, particularly amongst digital creators. Another element of the policy direction involves the notion of flexibility and adaptability in the regulatory framework the government directing the CRTC to do a number of things. I'll mention three in particular. First, where appropriate, minimize the regulatory burden on the Canadian broadcasting system. Secondly, avoid disruptions to programs and undertakings to which the Act does not apply. And third, respect audience choice and where possible, increase the options available. 
Now, it remains to be seen how all of this plays out before the commission. But certainly one can well see that in calling on the commission, for example, to avoid disruptions to programs and undertakings to which the act does not apply, to the extent to which the act does not apply to user content, that could well be read to say that the commission should avoid disruptions to user content, which is treated as a program uh, as part of the act. Now, if that's how it gets interpreted, that will suggest that the commission really needs to to be very cognizant of the implications of some of the kinds of choices that it makes, particularly for that kind of content. Now, tied in with that is a third aspect of this policy direction, where the commission is directed not to impose regulatory requirements on, first, online undertakings in respect of the programs of social media creators, including podcasts. There's a second element here, and that would be broadcasting undertakings in respect of the transmission of video games. So we've known for a while that video games would be out. This also includes the programs of social media creators, including podcasts. Just a couple of thoughts on that. Now, I think that all of these, both the algorithmic provisions as well as the one dealing with social media creators and podcasts confirms that the concerns associated with Bill C-11 were, were justified and very real. I've seen a number of people online saying, you see, we told you so. There was no real reason for concern. In fact, this legislation didn't address these issues, and, and a lot of this was just fear-mongering. I read the policy direction as actually confirming precisely the opposite, that the concerns that were raised about legislation that was crafted in a way that brought that kind of content within the ambit of the Broadcasting Act, treating user content podcasts as effectively the equivalent of content you might find on large streaming services and the like, largely because it's all treated as the same, all treated as a program, is actually clearly confirmed by the government in the policy direction. And it's only by way of the policy direction that there is an attempt to try to exclude some of the, the regulatory power that might arise over those kinds of programs. Now, we should be cognizant of the fact that policy directions are not the same as legislation, a point that was made repeatedly during the legislative process, that policy directions can and do change, and the their power and force over the CRTC varies as well. You know, the legislation is the legislation. That's what was passed by Parliament. A policy direction is something that the CRTC has to be mindful of. It will undoubtedly speak to the policy direction when it comes out with its final decision, but it is not binding in the same way that legislation is. And by having left the door open to regulation, everyone is really still at the whim of policy directions, which themselves can quite clearly change. Now, all of this, I think, highlights that these hearings really do matter. That, in fact, the way in which the CRTC goes about seeking to interpret both the legislation and then apply this policy direction will have an enormous impact on what the Online Streaming Act, what the Broadcasting Act itself looks like. CRTC only issued a very short statement from Chair Vicky Atreides as when that policy direction was released, noting that the government had released the policy direction that sets out how the CRTC will implement the Online Streaming Act. And the CRTC chair says the new direction complements and enhances the CRTC's efforts to modernize Canada's regulatory framework. This includes launching public consultations and a three-week hearing that will start on November 20th. This first hearing will consider the contributions online streaming services will need to make to support Canadian and Indigenous content. 
And the commission promises that as, as it moves forward to implement the new direction, Canadians can expect open, transparent, and respectful consultations leading to timely decisions. You know, sending a strong signal that it wants to ensure that it is inclusive and open, but also that uh, this is a, a bit of a rocket docket. The commission wants to move quite quickly, certainly on this issue and one I think would expect on others. So what do people need to know about this set of hearings that, as you've heard, is going to last for the next three weeks? Well, first, it is part of a group of three consultations. The first two were actually completed without a hearing, most notable of which involved questions around registration requirements for streaming services. I covered that in an earlier podcast, which focused on how far those requirements extend and, in fact, do include podcast platforms and potentially even very successful individually hosted podcasts. I think it's worth noting that that decision on mandated registration came with the draft policy direction already on the table. In fact, people knew exactly what the government had already said in terms of seeking to exclude certain kinds of uh, content or creators for the purposes of regulation. So the CRTC was aware of the limits of regulating user content, but still put some of these registration requirements in place. And the concerns that some have raised about the implications and the impact that first those registration requirements and later the actual regulations themselves could ultimately have on user-generated content, on podcasters and the like, I think remains very much alive, even with this policy direction. But this consultation is, is really the big one. So registration and the like was certainly important. It's this one, as, as you just heard, in terms of how it's been framed by the CRTC chair, is the one that's more significant. It's going to cover everything from thresholds to mandated contributions. I think that helps explain why so many groups have become involved. I thought I'd start by reading from the executive summary of my own submission, which I submitted back over the summer, to give you a sense of some of the issues. Here's what I said. The issues the Commission seeks comment on are complex, interconnected, and carry the risk of making Canada a regulatory outlier in the global treatment of internet streaming services. The Commission must take care to guard against market exit of in industry players and loss of consumer choice. This submission identifies five main mechanisms to mitigate these risks. First, contribution requirements must be sufficiently flexible to ensure that Canada is not viewed as an outlier with regard to expenditure requirements such that global undertakings consider exiting the market. The experience in other countries suggests that this is a real risk. For example, Denmark's adoption of a high financial contribution requirement combined with its rights payment framework led to a significant reduction in domestic production investment, costing the country's media production sector hundreds of millions of dollars rather than benefiting it. Moreover, if the Commission adopts regulations focused on minimum content requirements, they should be optional components of a contribution framework. Requiring services to remove titles from their libraries in order to meet content minimums would run counter to the government's policy direction that speaks to increasing user choice. Second, the Commission should base its annual revenue threshold on the established standard of the annual digital media survey of $50 million for audiovisual content and $25 million for audio-only content. Further, content-specific exceptions should be implemented for thematic online undertakings that, by their nature, are a poor fit for the Broadcasting Act's priorities. Third, the Commission's emphasis on discoverability stems from a mistaken equivalence of conventional television and internet streaming services 
and must be reconsidered. Any prescribed discoverability requirements should not require algorithmic manipulation. Instead, the Commission should take cues from international static prominence and discoverability methods. This would fulfill the Commission's objective that, and I'll quote, Canadians continue to have access to a wide range of choice of high-quality audio and video content that is made by and for Canadians, as well as the best content from around the world, regardless of the platform, device, or technology they wish to use. I noted that requiring algorithms to suggest irrelevant content to users has been flagged as a detriment to user experience and trust. Fourth, online undertakings covered by regulation must be able to access the benefits of funds that arise out of the new legislative framework. To maintain the status quo would establish a subsidy program for legacy media that has failed to keep up with changing markets and puts Canadian media diversity and innovation at risk. Fifth, as governments now appear to recognize there are significant risks with regulating user-generated content, notably to the policy direction's goal of inclusion of equity-deserving groups. Such regulation has the potential to raise barriers to entry and lock out the equity-deserving groups the Commission purports to want to empower. So that was my initial take on how the Commission ought to be addressing or at least thinking about some of these issues as you know, if you compare some of what I had to say with what the final policy direction looks like, obviously there is some amount of overlap. They've already decided in the registration requirements that the threshold they're using is far below the annual digital media survey. They're down at $10 million for registration. It's always possible they'll have a higher number coming out of this set of hearings and this consultation, though that seems somewhat unlikely. But some of the same kinds of issues, both around the mandated contributions themselves, around discoverability, around algorithmic uh, manipulation or regulation still remain very much alive and very much a core issue. That was my executive summary of what I submitted before the commission during the consultation. And I'll have a, a new opening statement as I have the opportunity to field questions a bit later in this consultation. Just to give you a sense of what is expected, as I say, the consultation starts on Monday, November 20th, and is scheduled to run for three weeks. The panel members, though they are subject to change, are expected to be the following five people, Vicky Atreides, the chairperson of the CRTC, Alicia Barron, who is the vice chair of broadcasting, Adam Scott, who's the vice chair of telecommunications, and two regional commissioners, Joanne Levy, who's a commissioner for Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and Nirmala Naidu, who's commissioner for Alberta and the Northwest Territories. Now, the agenda over the course of those three weeks is pretty packed. It'll start on day one with some groups like the Canadian Media Fund and the CMPA, as well as the Motion Picture Association, uh, as they rep are represented in Canada. On the second day, there's BCE or Bell, as well as Google, along with a number of other creator groups. Following up later in the week, there's Music Canada and a whole series of music-oriented representatives on Wednesday, the 22nd of November. Into Thursday, there's some more music-related representatives, including SOCAN and a number of individuals. And then finally on Friday, the one of the, the leads will be uh, APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, as well as a number of groups that have represented BIPOC interests, the Black Screen Office, are also all part of the, the agenda for the 24th. It continues the following week with a whole series again of hearings. Over the course of that week, you've got some of the telecom companies like Rogers and Kojiko. There are librarians that are appearing 
large broadcasters like Chorus, there's digital creators who appear midweek, including Digital First Canada. And then going further into the final week of December the 4th, there's a day that includes Rogers, Actra, and Apple. I'm scheduled to appear on the 5th of December in a day that will include Unifor and Friends of Canadian Broadcasting, as well as the CBC. And wrapping up over the course of the week, you've got a TikTok is, is appearing as part of this, the Canadian Association of Broadcasters. Open Media will be there. TELUS is going to be there. Documentary Organization of Canada is there. UFC even is one, is one of the last listed ones on the final day of December the 8th. So that's a sense of who will be appearing. Now, the CRTC is, as we heard even in the statement from the CRTC chair, will undoubtedly try to move quickly, the, the reference to timely decision-making. But I think it is worth noting that there is a lot more to come. The CRTC, when it first outlined its timeline or framework for addressing all the regulatory questions that come out of Bill C-11, come out of the Online Streaming Act, it identified at least nine different consultations, some of which will no doubt require full hearings similar to this one. In fact, as we look ahead into 2024 and potentially even into 2025, we start getting into some of even more challenging issues, for example, definitions around Canadian content, sort of a third rail issue that has kind of been lingering for a very long time and which I think for the first time in decades will really be seized upon by the commission. And no doubt there'll be many with different views about how we ought to be defining Canadian content and whether or not the definitions that have been used for a very long time for these regulatory purposes are still fit for purpose. Now, notwithstanding all those various issues you've had this week, the Heritage Minister St. Ange call for quick action. I think the reality is this is going to take a fair amount of time. And, and part of that, in fact, I would say a lot of that really does have to do with some of the choices the government made itself. I mentioned off the top of this podcast some of the legislative history where we saw legislation that could have been passed as early as 2021, now delayed till 2023 until this year, in large measure because some of the legislative choices the government made. Now, even as we find ourselves at the heart of the CRTC's process, the reason that there is so much for the commission to do is really because of government choice. It's the government that left so much to regulatory processes and CRTC hearings. In fact, there were numerous efforts to include greater specificity in the legislation. Government rejected most of those amendments, leaving it to the CRTC to figure out. And so CRTC is now charged with what sometimes feels like an almost unmanageable workload just on this piece of legislation, never mind the prospect of consultations on Bill C-18, the Online News Act, as well as all of its regular work, both on telecom and broadcast. So there is a lot happening. And even after the CRTC gets through this process, there's always the prospect of legal challenges, which covered just last week, some of the constitutional questions associated with Bill C-11 and Bill C-18. Depending on the outcome, we might well see challenges in the courts for some of those outcomes. There's always, of course, a possible change in government for anyone who follows the politics and the polls closely, knowing that the opposition, the conservative opposition, has indicated they would roll back some of the changes that are found in Bill C-11. So there remains a fair amount of uncertainty, but nevertheless, the next three weeks, are, I think, are going to be critically important to user content, to how streaming services are regulated, to the kind of choice that Canadians have, and to what sort of support mechanisms ultimately get developed within the Canadian environment. 
So the public needs to stay engaged and I think pay attention. I know that I will, and I can expect that we'll be covering these issues and these hearings in the weeks ahead. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening.